Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, what that tells me is it's not only confession, it's not just the words, the heart has to be connected. It has to be connected. And so for salvation to really be real, it has to be connected with the heart. So it's interesting. The words of Jesus are, are very interesting. By the way, I'm right in the middle of this study now uh, about hell. And uh, it's really interesting how Jesus spoke often about hell. And, and how Second uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about hell. Jude talks about hell. I mean, there's a lot of passages on hell. So to say there's no hell, you have to tear several pages out of your Bible. Now, I wish there wasn't a hell. I really wish there wasn't. But Jesus talked about it. I don't think he's going to lie about it. That's why I think it's very dangerous <laughs> to teach that there is no hell and that you get several chances after you die to get to heaven. Now, that's great. I wish that were the case. If that's backed up scripturally, and I'm in the midst of the study now. I'm not going to go into it in depth, but I'll probably share at some point about this. But, but, but I really believe it's important to know exactly what the Word of God says. It's really important to be, you know, you can have feelings I don't want anybody to go to hell. God didn't want anybody to go to hell. 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 says that God is long-suffering and desires that none should perish. And so he doesn't want anybody. And that's why he sent his son. And that's why Jesus' sacrifice is so essential. Otherwise, his sacrifice, if we just get lots of chances after we die, and we're going to get to heaven anyway, everybody's going to get to heaven eventually, which is ultimate reconciliation. If that happens then Jesus' sacrifice on the cross probably wasn't that necessary. Anyway, I'm playing with your mind, I know. But anyway, these are thoughts that you need to know. And especially if I'm, you know, if I'm sharing the gospel, I want people to know the truth. Now, I don't believe in a harsh gospel. I believe God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And he gives us so many chances to come to the kingdom. And when we screw up, you know, there's some people that believe if you sin, you lose your salvation. Well, I thank God that when I sin, I don't lose my salvation, that God's there for me. He loves me. I turn to him. I repent of what I messed up. It might have been something small, whatever it was, and he forgives me, and I don't have to be in condemnation and, you know, run to the altar the next time to try to get saved because God loves us. You know, his grace is sufficient. In fact, Second uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, for we're saved by grace, what he did on the cross, through faith, not because of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't work our way into heaven. However, sometimes I think maybe we dumb it down to the point like I did with, when I was just saved, trying to get that guy to say, Jesus is Lord. I, was, I actually offered him money to say it. Uh, I mean, that sounds stupid now. We, I was a hippie at the time, and I didn't have much money, so that was quite a sacrifice. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but anyway, what I want to say is that uh, it, it's really important to, now, I want you to, I'm going to put up from the Passion Translation, uh, John 17, 3. I want you to see this, because I think you'll, you'll see something here. It takes the same passage, and just, I, I think it just makes it a little clearer. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God, and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. I think that is a great definition of salvation. And by the way there, the word eternal life, it's the Greek word zoe, it's translated eternal life, but it actually, it's the word zoe means the God kind of life which has an eternal quality to it. 
However, the word is more than just a time frame, meaning eternally. That's part of the meaning, but the actual meaning of the word actually it means the God quality of life. So God wants to draw us into that quality of life where we have it here on earth. Then when we die, we're not going to hell. We're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. And so I don't know about you, but that's exciting. That's something that, I mean, that makes life here on earth worth living. That makes going through the trials here on earth easier to handle because we know this is not our home. This is not our home. We are called aliens and, you know, pilgrims that are passing through, and we are here to make a difference, but this is not our home. The good news is we have a home in heaven, and, and so that's why it's so important to know, am I really saved? So Jesus, <laughs> there was a, a troubling passage to me. By the way, let me, let me just take the word know first from the Greek. The Greek word know is gnosko, G-N-O-S-C-O, or K-O, gnosko, and the word actually means to perceive, to know relationally and experientially and intimately. Intimately, well, <laughs> intimately, just pretend there's an M-A in there, anyway. Uh, <laughs> intimately, anyway, the point is that the knowing, when we think of know, oftentimes we think of intellectual knowing. But the Hebrew word, which is yada, actually means the word for intimate sexual intercourse. It actually says in Genesis 4.1, it said Adam knew Eve and had a child as a result. So the word in the Hebrew actually means this intimate relationship. And it also, in the Greek, gnosko, it has this understanding in most passages where it's talking about God and Jesus, it's talking about a relational and experiential, uh, it's talking about a knowing relationally experiential. Now, how many know you can know a lot about God and know a lot about Jesus? I've met people that have memorized much of the Bible, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there's a passage in Matthew 7, and I want to go back to this because uh, it, it really builds. And by the way, John, in chapter 3, John 3.3 3 is a very famous, very famous quote. In John 3.3, 3, Jesus said, you must be, yeah, that's, you know, in the, when they kick a field goal or extra point in the end zone, you'll see John 3.3. 3. And, and what it is is Jesus said, you must be born again or born from above. The, the point is, and, and uh, I was talking to somebody at dinner tonight about George Whitfield. George Whitfield uh, was a preacher during the Enlightenment, uh, during the first great awakening in the United States. And he was a trained actor and he could project his voice for a mile. In fact, Benjamin Franklin stood on a hill a mile away and he projected his voice and Benjamin Franklin could hear him. But anyway, he would preach in fields and he would preach about being born again. In fact, somebody came to him one time and he said, George, why do you keep preaching you must be born again? And he, he said to me, he pointed his finger, he goes, because you must be born again. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, basically, being born again is inviting Jesus. It's not, church can't save you. Your Bible can't save you. Another person can't save you. Religion can't save you. The only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ and coming into a personal relationship with God through him and allowing him to come into your life and bringing the Holy Spirit into your life. So salvation is dependent on that knowing. Uh, there's a very troubling, I think a troubling passage uh, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. 
is my water bottle down there or did I leave it somewhere? Uh-oh. Okay, that's not a good sign. Okay, anyway. Anyway, oh, good, Jim's got it. I left it back there. Thanks, Jim. I'll tell you, if my head wasn't connected, I'd leave it somewhere. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So I'm gonna, I, I want to read this passage. Matthew 7, you can turn there, and we'll have it up on the screen. 21 through 23. Now, listen to these words. These are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, I thought, man, that's a heavy, that's a heavy passage. And if you take it in context, right before Jesus says that, he talks about the tree. If the tree's bad, then the fruit will be bad. If the tree's good, the fruit will be good. In other words, he's talking about a life internally that manifests externally. So what does that mean? That means that Whatever we do externally does not bring us into a saving knowledge of Christ and a saving relationship with the Father. External things have to come out of a relationship with him. Jesus died for us to have that relationship, and so as he comes into our life and we walk with him and we experience him and we experience a relationship with God, then basically the reality is we, we have this knowing, and he knows us, we know him. And I believe that's one of the key signs, because he said, I never knew you. If you know him, that's one of the most important aspects of your salvation. See, I remember when I was at Princeton Seminary, I was older. I, I went there when I was 30, from 30 to 33 years old. And while I was there, uh, there were younger kids that had just come out of college, and they would, <laughs> I'd sit down for lunch, and they would come over and start talking with me, and I saw several kids, you know, I say kids because they were a little younger than I was, I was a little older because I didn't get saved until I was 28, but, but anyway, they would come to me, and they would start to share about stuff, and uh, I saw several, several of those students lose their, their faith in God and in Jesus Christ, but what I realized is the ones that lost their faith had an intellectual understanding of the gospel. They had an intellectual, a mind understanding. They didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus. They didn't have a personal relationship with God. Uh, they, they, and so they struggled because they were trying to figure out from, from their intellect, they were trying to figure out rather than walk in the relationship that Jesus died for us to have. And, uh, and so, you know, I noticed if they didn't have an experience with Jesus, if they didn't have a, you know, that their, then their relationship with Christ and their salvation was based on an intellectual understanding. I want you to know that I believe that's why Paul wrote, you know, yet confess with your lips, but you believe in your heart. So it's an internal thing where you come into that relationship. When you're born again, 
and you receive Jesus Christ and you recognize you need him because you have messed up in your life and we all have, everybody's fallen short of the glory of God and when you realize that and you invite him in, he comes in and what happens is when your heart's sincere about that, he comes in and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the inside of you and it begins to change you from the inside out. See, religion tries to change you from the outside in. Can't do this, shouldn't do that, you better do that, shouldn't do that, but that's not the way with Jesus. That's not the way with the Holy Spirit. He changes from the inside out. He changes your desires, even in the things that are harmful to you, he shows you, and it's not that you can't do them, you don't wanna do those things. You begin to shift, you begin to see his love. Now, we stumble, you know, it's like, Two steps forward, one back, you know, we stumble and we pick ourselves back up again. And, and so in this walk with him, you know, this walk of salvation, we come into that place where we're born again. Now, people that grow up in a Christian home, oftentimes they can't point their finger when it was. They were little, they were, grew up, they gave their life to Jesus. When they were in junior high, they had an experience with Jesus in senior high. And then when they were, you know, out of college, they, you know, and, and so there's different times in their life. So, uh, and you know, other people that were messed up like me, I, I remember when Jesus Christ came into my life because it was a demarcation in my life. But it didn't change overnight. I was still doing things that were harmful, still doing stupid things. God had to begin to change me through my relationship with him. It was my relationship with him. That's what changes us. And so our relationship with him is, this is the thing that's gonna go on forever and ever and ever. We're gonna walk with him not only on this earth, but we're gonna to continue to have this relationship. We're gonna have relationship with other brothers and sisters. That's what's so amazing. That's what's so powerful because we have this link. You are brothers and sisters with another person that's been born again. There's a deeper relationship there because you both have Jesus at the very center of your life. And so you have koinonia, it's called in the Greek, it means fellowship, but it's much deeper than what we think of fellowship. It means you can have an intimate relationship and a tie and a connection with people who know Jesus, you know, more so than the world. Does that mean we just turn our back on the world? No, we need to reach out and love people in the world, you know, because lots of times they're not gonna step into a church. They're not gonna listen to a message, you know. So we've gotta reach out to them in love and, and reach them for the gospel's sake. So let's go back to this passage that I, I wanna read this again, uh, where he goes on a little further. And uh, he says, uh, you know, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, blah, blah, and he goes on. He said, then I will declare to you, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I just want to say to you, when you look at it in the context, you know, you understand what Jesus was saying. He's saying it's the internal life, it's not just what happens on the external. And so it's really important to have that internal life, to keep walking that relationship. Does that mean you have to pray for three hours every morning? No. If you, can, if you can do three hours every morning, that's great. But obviously, it's just talking. You can have a relationship with him any time of the day, any time of night, in the middle of the night. You can call on him. You can pray. You can, you know, uh, I actually listen uh, to, sometimes I'll just listen to the word at night. If I'm awake or I can't sleep, I'll just put on the Bible, you know, audio Bible, and, and just listen to that. And it's amazing how the word can just kind of calm you and just speak to you. And so that relationship we have with him is so essential. So... I believe that there's two things that are very important in salvation. Well, three things. Number one, it's important to be born again. Jesus said that from John 3, 3. It, born again, what does that mean? It means I come to a place where I recognize I need him. And so he comes into my life and I'm born again. My spirit was not alive, then it's alive to him. The second thing I really believe is the heart has to be involved. It can't just be the intellect. It can't just be the words of your mouth. Your heart has to be involved in this. And so it's, it's a heart 
thing that happens, that's really important. And the third thing is we come into a, a saving knowledge, a knowing, not a head knowledge, but a relational knowledge and an experiential knowledge with him, and that's what changes our life. And uh, I have talked to people that have lost their faith, and it's usually, I have found usually the cases, they never came into a real experiential, uh, just a, a, a knowing him in a relational way. It was all intellectual, and then when something bad happened, they blamed God, and so they said, well, if God let this happen in my life, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna walk with God anymore. I reject him, I reject Jesus. But the bottom line is, we, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say, you know, if you just let me come into your life, man, everything's going to be great. John 16, says, he said, you will have tribulation. You'll have struggles. You'll have trials. You'll have difficulties. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. So just hang in there. You're going to have difficulty in this world because this is not your home. But that's okay. Now, another thing I want to do, I want, I want to say, uh, notice he says this in here. He says, he who does my will and he who knows me. So we don't do his will in order to know him or order to be saved. We do his will because when we're saved, he changes our heart and we want to walk with him. We want to do his will. We want to we, we serve him. We want to do what he wants. And when we, when we f- miss it, we feel bad about it. We, we repent and he comes in and forgives us and gets us back up in the race. We don't get under condemnation and kick ourselves and beat ourselves up, but you know, but we realize where before, before we were born again, we'd miss it and we'd just go, well, everybody else is missing it. I guess I missed it too. We didn't, we didn't feel bad about it. So that's the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us, changing us. So really important. Now, when you see this, you recognize that Jesus was talking about this to his disciples, about the importance of knowing him and walking with him because he was going to be leaving them. Then I want to jump down because I want to hit another passage here. Let me just pause here. Are there any questions you might have? And no question is so too simple or too silly. Or, are th- go ahead, fire away. Practice lawlessness. Right. Here's the question. When Jesus said, you know, I never knew you, depart from me, uh, you who practice lawlessness, what did he mean by that? Well, it's not just stumbling in what you're asking. Is it's, not, it's not just stumbling. It's actually when you pursue and practice and continue to walk in that place that is walking away from Jesus on a continual basis. Basically, you harden your heart and continue to go in the wrong direction. And refused to, you know, uh, and, but again, this probably came out of these people not knowing Jesus. They were just practicing outward things. And so if you practice just outward things without the heart, then this is, that's what Jesus was, was trying to get across. That, that's, that's not what he wants. And that's not, you know, that's not what it's about. But that's a good question. Yeah, it's the, the practicing, continuing, 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 and not, you know, not being sensitive to the Spirit. Because we all mess up. You know, we all stumble. I mean, that's normal. What's that? I know, you don't. Yeah, I know. Well, I do. <laughs> Any other questions tonight? Just, it, it's, I, you know, I covered this quickly, but this is such an essential. Yes.
let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 19, there was a group of Jewish exorcists who went in and tried to exorcise demons from this individual. And they used the name of Jesus. And they even used the name of Paul. And what happened was the demons beat the crap out of these guys. And, and they said, and the demons said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who the heck are you? I mean, that's my, my uh, paraphrase. But basically they said, we don't know you. In other words, they used the name, but they didn't have the relationship. I believe that's what he was talking about here. It's not wrong to cast out demons. It's not wrong to prophesy. Those are good things. Those are things we do by the power of the Spirit. Those, those are things that we do, but we don't do them as an outward show. We do them as the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us, and we do it in the power of his name, not in us trying to do things without knowing him. Right. In this, you mean in the. Oh, in Matthew 7, yeah. Yeah, so the question is why didn't. Well, you know what? There were, there's, there's psychic exorcists that'll do, there's people that do exorcism without, without, using, without knowing Jesus, and they don't even use his name. Uh, you know, and so there's things, you can prophesy, there's, you can call Sybil the, the, the psychic for a dollar a minute and she'll give you a, a, some lousy prophecy. Uh, so, so people can do it and even use his name, but it doesn't mean it's authentic. You see what I'm saying? So I think that's what was happening. So how do we, because that, because there are people, I've met some people who have psychic gifts. hmm Sure. Yeah. No, there. Yeah. No, there's definitely there's counterfeits. You know, just like there's counterfeit, there's good twenty dollar bills and there's counterfeit twenty dollar bills. You know, and there are counterfeits out there. That doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We pursue the authentic and the real. You know, but again, it comes out of relationship with with him. And uh, yeah, I had well, I won't go into it, but I had a situation too similar to yours but uh yeah and so there are people that do these things in his name even and uh I, well, I will tell when before I got saved I, w- I was living in the Monterey Pacific Grove area of California and I went to this this guy did he did seances his name was Reverend Plume and he did him in the name of Jesus but he did weird stuff you know he'd take blood out of that. I mean it was I don't, I don't need to go into it but there were demons that would come and and it was it was strange. Anyway, you didn't need to know that, but I just thought I'd tell you, throw that in, no extra charge. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to go, oh, you have a question? I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He served some bad Kool-Aid too, didn't he? Anyway, <laughs> Kool-Aid's bad for you anyway because it's just sugar and water, but that stuff is really bad for you. Okay, so let me get to the next one here. I've got to get to this quickly because I want to give you a little time to get to your tables. Uh, how will the world know that Jesus sent, I mean, I'm sorry, that God sent Jesus? How's the world going to know that God sent Jesus Christ? 
Now, it's interesting. This is what he tells his disciples. He tells his disciples how the world's going to know. In fact, uh, you can turn there. If you're in John 17, you can go to verse 20. We're going to go 20 through 23. We'll put it up on the screen. I'm actually going to read from the Passion. And it says, And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. In other words, that's us. <laughs> I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. Now notice what he says here. How is the world going to recognize that God sent Jesus to this earth? Tell me. Paraphrase this. What, how? Yeah, we're going to walk in unity and relationship with each other. We're going to have such a strong unity and relationship with each other that the world will know. How many of you know when Christians come against each other, when there's divisions, when there's splits in a church, when there's things like that happen, you know the enemy is just, just happy about it because the world goes, oh yeah, look, you know, look at the way they're acting. You know, and he said it was out of the unity and the oneness. Now, God and the Father were extremely close. And he's saying that's the kind of oneness he wants us to have with each other. And, you know, it doesn't mean that there's going to be times when things fall apart, you know, I mean, when we fall out of relationship with someone, but we need to do everything we can to reconcile. And it says, as much as within your power, be reconciled. That means not everybody will be reconciled. So you just got to do as much as you can. They may reject it, but you've got to reach out as much as you can to be reconciled. Now, let's go a little further. He says, uh, uh, let's see, what verse am I? 22, right? Yeah, and the very glory you have given me, I have given them, so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Now, there it is. He's just re-emphasizing the importance of unity. God and Jesus enjoyed an incredible unity. In fact, in John 5, 19, Jesus said, I can do nothing other than what I experience from the Father. He said, what I see the Father, but in the Greek it means what I experience from the Father. I can only do what I experience from the Father. So Jesus was to totally dependent on the Father. And the Father had a deep relationship with Jesus. And so they had this unity and this closeness. And he's praying for that. He wants them, that us to have that. And he goes on in verse 23 and he says, you live fully in me now and I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. I believe there's two ways that the world will know that Jesus was sent to this world. How are they going to know? I'm talking about the world. That's talking about people that don't necessarily know Christ. Obviously, they don't, you know, and so... How are they going to know? Number one, by the unity that we walk in. That's why we have to guard unity. We have to really guard it. We have to guard it with our spouse. We have to guard it with our children. We have to guard it with our relatives. And <laughs> sometimes that's the hardest. And, you know, and so we've got to guard that and do everything we can within our, within our ability to walk in that unity and with other believers. You know, and sometimes another believer... <laughs> When I was very immature in the faith, if somebody didn't agree with me on a certain point, I, I felt like I couldn't have close fellowship with them. That was a lie because we have unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials. There's a lot of things we can disagree on that are non-essentials. 
you know, there's a lot of things. We can talk about when's Jesus coming back, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know, <laughs> a-trib. I mean, there's all these different positions, preterist. You know, those are all fun to talk about, but we don't fall out of fellowship. We can have fun talking about it. And the reason you know it's a non-essential is because what I believe isn't going to make Jesus come back in that time frame. Amen? He's going to come back when the Father tells him. And so, so the thing is, we can talk about those things and have fun, but we don't fall out of fellowship over those things. We don't fall out of fellowship. We don't fall out of fell out of fall out of fellowship, you know, in in little doctrinal differences. You know, obviously there's essentials. I mean. I can't be a Christian by sitting in church anymore and I become a Porsche by sitting in my garage. So I have to have, something has to happen. I have to be born again. I have to have a relationship. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's basically, that's an essential. And so, so we, we have unity in the essentials, but the, the non-essentials, we don't fall out of fellowship over. And, you know, some, I mean, some people get really uptight if you don't believe the same way they do. They just say, well, I can't have fellowship with you. And uh, that's just... That's just carnal. I mean, as I guess the best way to say it, it's fleshly and it's wrong. And it's not going to show the world. Uh, I just want to give you another scripture. I'm going to jump down to John 17, 26. I'm going to close with this. But uh, in John 17, 26, Jesus says, I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. Now, the thing that Jesus emphasized a little earlier was the Holy Spirit was going to come and live in each believer. And so that same love, too, as Paul writes in Romans 5.5, the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So we get to experience that same love, but that love is not just for us to hold on to, it's for us to share. That's why Jesus said in John, again in John 13.35, he said, this is how people will know you're my disciple, by the love you have for one another. It's not going to be by how much scripture you can quote. It's not going to be how, I mean, it's not going to be anything other than the love. That's how they're going to know that you're my disciple. And I got to tell you, folks, I think sometimes we fall short. I think sometimes we, we don't express the love. We judge people. And you know what? God is the one that's going to take care of that. We don't need to judge people. We need to love people. And that doesn't mean we have to agree with the lifestyle they have or anything else, but we need to love them. We need to accept them and love them because they are made in the image of God. Even though you may not agree with, you know, what they do or who they are, you still have to love them. Why? Because Jesus did. He loved the sinners and they loved him. You know what? It was the Pharisees that didn't like him very much. To be honest with you, he had a little trouble with them, too. If you read Matthew 23, <laughs> he comes against them pretty heavily. So the bottom line is we can't, we, we've got to show that love. We've got to walk in unity, and then the world will be impacted. I don't believe the world is impacted by how much we know. They don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. I really believe that. I've found that to be true when I'm, you know, just sharing my life with people that don't know Christ. I feel like if I try to impress them with how much I know, it turns them off. But if I can actually show them how much I really care about them and how I really want to help them if I can, sometimes I can't, then it's amazing how open they are. They're much more open 
So I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you go to your tables, and you can talk about uh, salvation, or you can talk about unity and love and uh, how we can do a better job at it. So, Father, I just pray for each one of us here. I pray that we would have an assurance, according to 1 John 5, where it says that we can know that we have this assurance that we are saved. And, Father, it comes out of that relationship. It doesn't come out of how good I've been or how bad I've been. It comes out of my relationship with you and knowing how good you are and having that close relationship and, that, and to walk in that fellowship and experiential relationship that lets me know that I know that I know that I'm going to spend eternity with you, Jesus. And I pray for that same, you know, I just pray for each and every heart here. And if any, anyone's fearful that maybe they're, you know, just playing the game and not really walking from the heart, Lord, I pray that their heart would just be broken for you, that they would turn to you in a deeper way than ever before. And Lord, we just want to serve you. We want to know the truth. We want to be able to be real and authentic. We want to be able to share truth with a heart of love. And Father, give us the opportunities. Give us the opportunities to walk in unity with each other, Father. And uh, I just ask you to do a mighty work in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Anyway, I love you all. 